Are you needing a custom logo design for your business, sports team, or hobby? I get so many compliments on my podcast logo. It's the first thing someone will see when searching for a new cast to listen to. Darkside Designs specializes in custom screen printing and logo design. The turnover time has always been done in a timely manner. The personalization and attention to detail, you can't find this logo and at an unbeatable price. Check out Darkside Designs or give Trent a call. Be sure to let him know I sent you. 970-372-7377. of you who may want to ask, let me address very directly, I did not kill my daughter, John Bonet. Uh, there have also been innuendos that she has, has been or was sexually molested. I can tell you those were the most hurtful uh, innuendos uh, to us as a family. Uh, they are totally false. Uh, John, Bonet, John Bonet and I had a very close uh, relationship uh, I will miss her dearly for the rest of my life. I'm Patsy Ramsey, Germany's mother, and I'm grateful that we are finally able to meet together face to face. I'm appalled that anyone would think that John or I would be involved in such a hideous, heinous crime. But let me assure you that I did not kill Jean Benet. I did not have anything to do with it. I love that child with my whole of my heart and soul. Mr. Mrs. Ramsey, what do you want to say to the killer of your daughter? We'll find you. We will find you. I have that as a sole mission for the rest of my life. Mrs. Ramsey? Likewise, the uh, police and investigators have assured us that this is a case which can be solved. You know, you may be eluding the authorities for a time, but God knows who you are and we will find you. Hi. Hello. How are ya, my oh, weird friends? Welcome back to episode two in the Jean Benet Ramsey murder series. If you have not heard episode one, it is just before this episode. I strongly recommend that you go listen to episode one so you are all caught up to us. As you can tell, I have my voice back. It was a rough past two weeks and I'm feeling much, much better. I now have such an appreciation for my voice. I was so devastated not being able to record for you and give you my best voice. So if you missed last week, I explained this month will be dedicated to Jean-Benny Ramsey. I will definitely be making more conspiracy theory episodes, but not until this series is over and after my holiday break. I'll be gone the week of Christmas as well as the following week for New Year's. My girls and family need some much-needed quality time together. I plan on bringing back the conspiracy episodes and alternating weekly between conspiracy and true crime. I will give it a try and see how you all respond to it. I would love to give you two episodes weekly. I just want to make sure I am giving you my best 
quality content. As the old saying goes, quality over quantity, right? A quick recap of episode one, we went over exactly who the Ramses were, how Jean Benet was raised, and the background of her multi-millionaire father, pageant queen mother, and brother Burke. I went over the timeline of Christmas Day 1996, the events taking place from the ransom note, 911 call, to John Ramsey finding his daughter's body in the basement. Fast forward from the first interview with CNN, the news had gotten hold of video footage of Jean Benet participating in her beauty pageants, a six-year-old competing in elaborate, mature clothing in a full face of makeup, appearing to be much older and mature than she really was. This is episode two in Who Killed America's Little Beauty Queen. took samples from both John and Patsy Ramsey's handwriting to compare samples to the ransom note. John turned over two notepads to investigators. Both him and Patsy each had their own designated notepad right next to the telephone. Patsy Ramsey's notepad had torn pages that were compared to the tear patterns of the ransom note. Turned out to be a match. The ransom note paper had come from Patsy Ramsey's notepad. So this evidence raised the question if Patsy had in fact written the ransom note herself or if an intruder wrote the ransom note. Why write a three-page handwritten note using paper and ink from inside the home? Why spend so much time inside the home writing this elaborate note, knowing you might be caught or heard at any time. Here's a thought that I had. If I was in fact a criminal, my thought process would be to leave as little clues as possible. This was in 1996, so computers and printers existed. Everyone knows handwriting can be compared and traced back to you. Another thought is the length of the note, which was three pages which, in my opinion, seemed to be a bunch of unnecessary rambling. If I thought like a criminal and were after ransom money, I'd make the note short, blunt, and to the point. There were also no fingerprints of an unknown source found on the pen linked to the ink used on the ransom note. The handwriting from Patsy Ramsey has never been able to be ruled out, while John's handwriting was cleared as not a match. I am no handwriting comparison expert, but I myself see so many alarming similarities in the two samples side by side. Of course, the ransom note looked sloppy, probably written rushed for time, and meant to appear sloppy to throw off investigators. Remember, Patsy went to college for journalism. 
The defense in her favor was that the ransom note had poor English, misspelled words, and Patsy was a well-educated woman who was neat and could never have made those mistakes. Or could she have? Again, I put myself in the criminal's mindset and think if I were disguising my handwriting, I would write a little sloppier and misspell words that would be out of the normal for me. As much as we'd like to believe we could disguise our handwriting, it can never be fully replaced. There are noticeable techniques and styles we all use in writing letters or numbers. And in a three-page ransom note, there is a lot of room for error in forgetting you were disguising yourself as an intruder. Another alarming discovery was that the garrote used to strangle Jean Benet was crafted with a broken paintbrush. That, in fact, belonged to Patsy Ramsey. The garrote was designed with intricate knot tying. Whoever tied those knots knew what he or she was doing. So who might know how to tie such knots? Maybe a boy. A nine-year-old boy, to be exact. Maybe someone who has practiced. Maybe even been a boy scout at one time. Now, this is pure speculation on my end. Investigators have never been able to prove if Burke Ramsey was awake that night or early morning of the 911 call. But thinking outside of the box, I would imagine a nine-year-old boy would know how to craft such knots. The Ramseys had plans to leave for Michigan the morning following Christmas. John had his own private plane, and the family was planning on spending the remainder of the holiday in Michigan in the family's summer home. So does this support the theory this was an accident followed by cover-up versus a well-planned premeditated murder? So what kind of accident would lead to a death and require a cover-up? Maybe the kind of accident involved in a fit of rage, anger, lashing out in violence. A logical theory of mine for this case has always been an accident followed by a cover-up. So based on the accident theory, what accident driven by anger would trigger a parent to kill their own child? Well, Dr. Richard Krugman, the dean of University Colorado School of Medicine, had his own theory of sorts. In his own words, quote, most common trigger in older children who are killed is a toileting accident that leads to an explosion of rage and either a severe injury or occasionally a murder. Some might consider this to be a ridiculous explanation, but Jean-Benet was known to have a reoccurring problem with wetting the bed. Dr. Krugman, quote, I've seen dozens of cases bedwetting led to this kind of an act. The case was at a standstill. District Attorney Alex Hunter was getting desperate to bring some answers to the community. This is when Lou Smith joins the investigation. Lou Smith was a well-respected detective from Colorado Springs who has worked numerous notable cases. Lou had retired in 1996, but came out of retirement to take on the Jean-Benet Ramsey case in Boulder. Despite all of the overwhelming clues that seemed to be pointing to Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey, Lou Smith had a completely alternate theory. But before taking on the case, Lou Smith stated he believed the parents were guilty of this crime. 
only by what he had heard from the media coverage. Once inside the case, he stood his ground on an intruder. Lou's met brought so much hope to the community and everyone involved that he might be the one to crack the case. Lou strongly suggested the intruder gained access to the home Christmas night, possibly while the Ramseys were out at the Christmas party. One of the crime scene photos shows a bed skirt that seemed to have been disturbed, as if someone could have been hiding under the bed. The bedroom this picture was taken in had a very clear view of the driveway. If the intruder entered the home while the Ramseys were out, he could have used this time to write the ransom note and get familiar with the layout of the house. There was a window in the basement that had been broken. However, John Ramsey stated that he may have broken that window weeks prior on accident and never got around to fixing it. Lou Smith believed there was evidence to believe the intruder accessed the home through a basement window. Some might have overlooked the window before, thinking it wasn't possible for a grown person to fit through. Lou demonstrated and was successful at climbing through the window. There was a black scuff mark down the wall below the window, indicating a shoe might have scuffed the wall while climbing in or out of the window. There was a luggage suitcase pushed right below the window that John Ramsey stated was out of place. Lou Smith had the theory the killer used the bag as a stepping stool to climb out of the window. On top of the bag was a small shard of glass discovered. So if John Ramsey had broken the window weeks before, maybe the bag had been there weeks prior. Lou Smith stuck to the theory the shard of glass could have come from the killer's shoe as he stepped on the bag to flee the scene. Plain devil's advocate here, just because John stated that the luggage was out of place, that the bags weren't stored in that area of the house, doesn't mean that it wasn't staged. Lou Smith was able to prove the window was indeed large enough to be an access point to an intruder. However, the window had an iron window well grate on top of the window well. The crime scene photos of the window well show cobwebs and some vineage that had been undisturbed, as if the grate had never been lifted. If you were going to lift the grate, climb into the window well, it had dirt, leaves, debris, and there were no footprints recovered from that window well. To sum up Lou Smith's theory, he believed an intruder climbed through the window into the basement while the Ramseys were at the Christmas party, got himself familiar with the layout of the home, found Jean Benet's bedroom, wrote the three-page ransom note, and stayed in the bedroom overlooking the driveway to see when the Ramseys arrived home. Once the Ramseys pulled into the driveway, he hid under the bed until everyone was asleep. He climbs out from under the bed, makes his way to Jean Benet's bedroom, and grabs her from bed, taking her into the basement, which was a predetermined location in the home that was quiet and hidden. There were two footprints recovered from the cellar floor, where Jean Benet's body was found, as well as a partial palm print. One was John's footprint, the other has never been identified. Remember, there were so many people in and out of the house that day. So many fingerprints and footprints had to be sorted through 
and weeded out from exactly what the police were looking for. So if in fact a intruder grabbed Shambhani from her bed and carried her down to the basement, how did he do so without her screaming or making any kind of noise? Before I go into that, let me tell you what was found in the autopsy examination. The autopsy report released marked the cause of death as asphyxiation by strangulation. This was a blow to the investigator's accident theory. The girl died a violent death. What was found in the autopsy revealed that this was no accident at all. For example, it takes two to five minutes for a person to pass out unconscious while being strangled. That doesn't seem to be too terribly long but I challenge you to hold your breath that long or set a timer for four minutes and sit in silence to really grasp how long Jean-Benet suffered without oxygen before passing out, followed by death. Jean-Benet's mouth was duct taped shut, her hands were bound, and she had an eight and a half inch fracture to her skull. This fracture was a result from the blow from a blunt force object to the right side of her head. Also discovered was an abrasion and vascular congestion of vaginal mucosa, leading to determination she was a victim of sexual assault. The evidence proved she was sexually assaulted before she was murdered. So rumors began to swirl. John Ramsey took a lot of pressure and blame for possibly sexually assaulting his own daughter, as well as giving investigators a motive for the murder. Most examiners were in agreement. Jean-Bonnet didn't have evidence to support a past history of sexual abuse. The Ramsey's pediatrician strongly argued in favor of John Ramsey that Jean-Bonnet never had signs of child abuse or sexual abuse. However, as a mother myself, not every checkup or even often do the doctors examine the pelvic region, searching for these types of signs. It's just an uncommon area to examine in a checkup or just a visit for a cold. So it is possible the doctor is basing his theory off of his rapport built with the Ramseys versus factual evidence. It could have been overlooked. Now backing up a little bit, now that you have a general idea of the clues the autopsy report granted, how would a killer manage to sneak into a bedroom and grab a six-year-old out of bed without raising an alarm, no screaming, no noise. Well, in the autopsy, there were marks found on the body that fit well of markings left from a taser. Lusmant tested this theory using a section of pig skin to compare to the markings on Jean Benet. The two markings were similar in shape, size, and color, and were just about the perfect distance apart to indicate a taser was used. However, it's not 100% proven this is where these markings were generated. So maybe the taser was used to stun JonBenet, causing her to pass out and able to carry quietly down to the basement. Isn't a taser allowed? Well, a taser must contact skin, unlike a stun gun which shoots prongs from a further distance. When a taser is contacted with skin, it is very possible it could muffle the sound. Lou Smith had raised more than enough reasonable doubt needed to exonerate the Ramseys if they were charged. Lou Smith left the case due to his belief the police were pushing guilt on the Ramseys and not open to investigating the theory of an intruder. 
Lou Smith stuck to his opinion up until he passed away in 2010 from colon cancer at the age of 75. However, police did have multiple suspects on their radar. Multiple people were interviewed and later cleared. Evidence always led back to the parents. So if the parents didn't kill Jean Bonnet, who did? Santa? Things finally started to distract the attention away from Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey. Lou Smith had raised enough question. Investigators did follow every possible lead. John Ramsey was still the only one cleared from the handwriting sample. One of many possible suspects that Patsy offered up was the housekeeper. Linda Pugh was the housekeeper for the Ramseys. Her husband Mervyn and herself were very familiar with the house and everyone residing in it. They were no strangers to Jean Bonnet and certainly wouldn't raise a fuss if Jean Bonnet was awakened that night by a familiar face. A big reason Patsy offered up the housekeeper to police was her strange behavior a few weeks prior to the murder. Linda had asked Patsy to borrow $2,000 shortly before Christmas, which to me is suspicious considering the murder was based around the ransom money, but it was the holidays and maybe Linda needed the extra money just to stay afloat. And since the Ramseys were wealthy people, who better to ask? Police did visit the Pew home and interviewed the couple and made a discovery of the same brand of duct tape used on Jean Bonnet's mouth inside the Pew's home. In their defense, it was 1996. How many brands of duct tape were around? It was almost a standard brand that everyone used, and I'm guessing it's safe to say that everyone has duct tape somewhere in their home. It was never linked to the exact piece of duct tape removed from the body. Years later, the Ramsey still pointed the finger of blame at the housekeeper. Linda stuck to her innocence. She even stated she was devastated by the terrible fate of Jean Bonnet. She was around her every day, grew a bond to her, and was at a loss just like everyone else. Eventually, Linda and Mervyn Pugh were cleared and checked off of the suspect list. So maybe it was Santa Claus. It just so happened, Santa paid a visit to the Ramsey home two days prior to the murder. You'll have to join me next Wednesday for episode three to find out how many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? 10 tickles. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of my loyal weird friends. If you liked this episode, be sure to give me a like, subscribe, comment, and give me a rating. Share my podcast with a friend. The more listeners, the more sponsors, and the more sponsors, I am able to make more content for you. Go over to Pocketful of Crime on Instagram and Facebook to follow behind the scenes and so you can put a face to the crime. Happy holidays. I hope everyone is enjoying their holiday season and join me next Wednesday for episode three in this series. Until next time, stay weird, my friends. Oh, and one more thing. Hi, Mom. <laughs>